All right, this is episode number 88 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Every Monday morning, we bring you the latest and greatest in internet marketing at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, wherever else you can find podcasts. We're there. We're recording this right now, obviously ahead of time. It's Black Friday right now. We're coming out of the intense internet marketing, stats tracking, test running, everything that we're doing right now. Email sending. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're... We're deep in the thick of it right now. Mountains of Mountain Dew and caffeine pills, Red Bulls, everything. We're taking a break. We're going to bring the latest in internet marketing for this last week to get in the mood also in terms of obviously we're drinking Mountain Dew and and Red Bull and everything else. What are you drinking in terms of alcohol to get in the mood? I'm actually drinking Talisker 10. Very smoky, but nice scotch. How about yourself? This one's a tricky one. So uh, yesterday did some research, found a drink called a Stingy Jack. Spent about three weeks distilling down allspice liqueur, homemade, no big deal. (laughs) Had to hunt down some pumpkin, which is the best pumpkin beer out there from Southern Tier. Okay. So it's pumpkin, allspice liqueur, orange juice, cognac, Angostura bitters, simple syrup. You mix that up together. You have a Stingy Jack. Pretty amazing drink. I do say so myself. A lot of citrus in that. Yeah, exactly. It's a little citrusy. It tastes like the holidays, man, with that okay. allspice liqueur and that pumpkin beer. You know my favorite? Do you remember Delirium Noel? Yeah, they sell it at oh, the. Man. I saw it on the so shelf, tasty, right next to the pumpkin when I purchased that the other day. If you're listening, you haven't had it. It's in a good way, like potpourri beer. It's it tastes <laughs> like Christmas sound. in a glass. But I will say, I've only had it on tap. I don't know if it's different <clears throat> bottle. I'm not one of those elitists, but I, there is a taste difference. Yeah, and it is. So on point. Wow. I do miss that. They do sell it in the ridiculously large sized bottles. I think it's like $12 for one one beer. Like I'm committed to my alcoholism. Check this. All right. Let's jibber jabber. Let's go ahead and get into the agenda for tonight. First and foremost, Professor Rob's going to go over the consumer barometer from Google. That sounds crazy, but we're going to dissect it. it. Next, we're going to go into why you need to be bringing your developers in at the design level. What? Was Thanksgiving bigger for deals than Black Friday? If it was, Rob told you so. So we're going to go into the stats about that. And three tactics to include when you're writing... I would say not just your ads online, but just how you're dealing with content in general. And then last, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't check in with our favorite search engine, Google, to see what's happening there and what you need to be paying attention to. So first, let's kick it off. Consumer barometer, complicated stuff that reminds me of Twister and Weatherman. But how does that relate to what we need to be uh, paying attention to as marketers. Consumer Barometer with Google. So I'm going to give out the URL here, consumerbarometer.com. If you can't spell those things, good luck. Just Google it. It'll correct it for you. Um, so essentially what this is, is a large survey that Google ran collecting all sorts of data points on people to try to find the answers to the questions that all of us internet marketers have about users, how they shop in the real world and online, what are their research habits, what kind of devices do they use. So tons of great data. The website's pretty interesting too because it allows you to apply filters to the data too. So let's say I want to break down and look at males versus females, geographic information, age information, even specific product categories can really break down the information and build beautiful charts and present it to your higher ups to build the case for whatever you want to do (laughs) for those consultants out there or people working in internet marketing. But I do want to talk about some things that I ran across that I felt were pretty interesting. Firstly, about which types of products people use on different stages while they're researching things. Then I also want to talk about a few examples of the differences between how men and women 
use and research products on the internet when they go to purchase. So number one here, I wanted to talk about which devices, this is the question that Google asked to people, which device did you use to make your purchase? And the different devices they have on here are smartphones, computers, and tablets. Computers far and away, 85% of purchases are made on a computer. It's only 7% on a smartphone and 7% on a tablet. That doesn't really fall in line with what I've seen. I, typically tablets outpace smartphones, but obviously this is more wider than my anecdotal evidence. Sure. Have you seen similar results on some of the stuff you've well, done? I, well, I wonder if people are getting hung up on the way they worded that question and making decisions on desktop, sometimes depending on what vertical is quite high, where people might get tripped up as they're actually researching a lot on mobile devices. But when it comes time to make that decision, they're actually finishing on a desktop. So that might be sort of skewing these numbers. That's a the bit. next question I'm getting into. Okay. Well, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next question they asked, which of your devices did you use at any stage? of mm -hmm. your research online. 28% claim they use a smartphone, 80% on a computer, 16% uh, on a tablet, 2% other internet-enabled device. I don't know what the hell that means. Maybe old busted phone, not a smartphone? Maybe. So a dumb phone? Like a PlayStation or Xbox or oh, something that's, like that? Yeah, that's a good point. 2% didn't recall <laughs> the device type. So similar trend there. Obviously, a lot more people doing research on smartphones but not actually making the purchase there when you compare them to the numbers I was talking about. Do you think question. there's some mudding up of tablets and computers, like some olds that think tablets are computers? So when you ask them that, I guess you're giving them the option, but I wonder if some people don't necessarily make that distinction. And so they're you know quickly going through the survey and it's like, well, it was a tablet, but that's a computer to me. Possible, but I just applied those filters right oh, now. Gotcha. So let's look at the differences here. People <laughs> under 25 years old, 45% of them use smartphones, 70% mm -hmm. use computers, 18% use tablets. Okay. So there is a bit of a difference there. Slightly older, 25 to 34, fewer people using smartphones, more people using computers, and more people using tablets. Good to know. Definitely cool, easy. Like I said, I just filtered that literally as we were as you were asking that question. Well, it's good to, to do that persona work, you know, yeah. understanding who your target audience is and how that might play into your strategies based on some of this research data. It's definitely helpful. So moving on, I, these next few are going to be comparing the differences between men and women and how they use the internet search engines to do research and to make purchases. I felt this was valuable for anyone out there who's listening who doesn't have have demographic data from either Google Analytics or purchased data that they can run against their customer lists and try mm -hmm. to find out what's the breakdown. Am I mostly selling to women or men? Sometimes it's very obvious we're selling women's type of products or we're a Pinterest type site who relies on selling things like that. It's obvious, but sometimes it's not. Regardless, it pays to pay attention to the differences in how men and women use the internet. So sure. let's talk about a couple of these. First question, which of these online sources informed your recent purchase at any stage from getting initial ideas to reaching a final decision? So search engines used for men versus women, 42% of men use a search engine to research their last purchase that they made. Only 34% of females do. Okay. Search engines not used, 58% of males say they do not use a search engine in their last product purchase. 66% of females did not use a search engine in their last product purchase. So what this basically says is more women 
either find what they're going to buy from a different source, not a search engine, or they go directly to it. They already know what they're doing. Okay. More men are searching for what they're trying to buy. This other one is summarized as, did people do any online or offline research prior to the recent purchase? So at all, did you look anything up Mm -hmm. via search engine, via Facebook, social metrics, whatever it is? 74% of men did any research whatsoever from any source online. So they did something, 74% of men. Only 69% of female. So, I mean, pretty close, but definitely a a noticeable significant difference there. Right. Uh, 57% of men did online research. Only 48% of female did online research. Again, we're noticing a trend here of it tends to be men are doing more research, which helps inform ads in the research phase of asking questions about products instead of searching for specific products. Offline, it's pretty close, both men and women. Men are 53%, females 50%. And then from there, online research only, offline research only, it gets pretty close. Definitely, again, some trends to pay attention to. Next question, what do people do on their smartphone while researching? This is getting very specific now. The couple of things I want to point out are two of the potential answers here. So one is performed a location search. 15% of men did that. 9% of females did that. Some of these other ones are pretty close. Another one, though, that is pretty different. Research products while they were in a store on their smartphone. 17% of men did that. Sure. Roughly half, 8% of females did that. All right. And then the final one I wanted to bring up. How did people who researched in-store complete their product purchase? So following up on that last one we talked about, 71% of men completed their purchase in the store. So I looked up, I researched something, I decided to buy it in the store. 82% of females who researched something online completed the purchase in-store. I got to see, touch, feel, taste. Right, right. In terms of that same question, and but completed the purchase online, 16% of men, 7% of women. Again, helps inform your decision in terms of if you're advertising to people who you know are on a phone, who are researching things, men are more likely to purchase on, from your website. Women are going to be more likely to purchase from the store that they're in right now when they're researching things. All right, so that's all I have to throw at you from Google's very consumer Very barometer. interesting. I mean, you could go down this rabbit hole and just oh, look yeah. at all sorts of different Well, I think that's actually an, a good thing to bring up to people. It's just be careful how far down the rabbit hole you go with looking at some of these sources and trying to dissect them and understanding your customer. One thing that's sort of lost sometimes in these types of studies is these stats can radically change depending on what people are actually looking for, who's your actual demographics out of men and women, you know, how, what's their wealth, income, things of that nature. So these are good barometer checks, so to say, but you might find that your audience might act slightly different than what these stats would bear out. So just make sure that you are keeping that in mind, but also not getting too far down where you're trying to make large overarching decisions based on a really small Mm -hmm. set of data. I mean, that's just marketing 101, but just be very careful with that because there's so many filters and you can get the data so easily. It can be an honest mistake when you Mm -hmm. have such a, a neat tool like this. I think what it helps point to is just the fact that there are definite differences between different metrics, different age groups, different genders, different locations, different product types, different devices. Use some of those broad categories to maybe help you identify where it seems like people in general are acting differently and see if those same things are happening on your website and your for your products and customers. So anyway, enough about all that. Let's move on. What are we talking about next? All right, so I did want to spend some time, and I think that this is sometimes lost. I mean, I notice this quite a bit when I'm working with companies. And I wanted to spend some time talking about why you need to include your developer in the design process. This is a very 
interesting and fascinating article done by Smashing Magazine. And they have some great content out there. So definitely recommend them as one to add to your frequent read list. But I'm actually not going to talk much about the article. Just wanted to point to my own personal experiences and why you would actually want to loop in your developer more often. And I think that some of the hesitation that people have is in their interactions, a lot of developers aren't really interested in this. You know, they want to be told what to do, what's my task that I need to complete, what's the PSD or whatever it might be. And I just want to complete something. So it's it's sometimes a little bit difficult finding developers that are actually interested in this. But oftentimes what I find working with companies is they get into these design meetings, they mock something up, they have a great design, and then they hand it off to the developer and they don't understand why something is taking four months to develop or it's just taking a lot longer than anticipated or there's some resistance there that I know you've mocked it up in this form or fashion, but actually on mobile and tablet, this would be a horrendous experience. And actually the technology is really not there to render out the experience that you think you want to have on these devices. And so that's really what this allows for. And I think first and foremost as companies, I know some of you will not have the luxury of this, but you need to look for developers that are actually interested in becoming part of the system, so to say, that ones that are not just interested in completing tasks or solely developing, but you want people that are generally interested in the work that they're doing and will solicit feedback. Now, sometimes that can be at odds with your designer and you get two very opinionated people in the room, but I'd rather have that and be the mediator there than run into the problems that we just outlined. And so the benefit of bringing developers in is a couple fold. One, you get feedback from people that are going to be actually completing the coding. And so sometimes what can happen, and I've seen this in real life, is they're presented a couple different design ideas or a design idea and they offer an alternative. I know you want to do this and that looks great, but this other method gets us 80% of the way there, mm -hmm. but is about a third of the work. And so we work in a dynamic business and, you know, sometimes getting things out to market is a benefit. So I'm going to go ahead and take that 85, 80% of the way there treatment versus dedicating months and months and months of development to get something done. That's benefit number one. Benefit number two, I would say is just also getting a higher quality of work. And this is really hard to quantify, but at least in my experience, I found that when developers are involved earlier in the process, and I think this makes sense just from a psychological standpoint, but they feel this ownership over the work that they're doing. It's no longer a task. This is something that I've actually helped have a say in and help craft from the ground up and just reflect on your own life. Sometimes those pet projects, those are the ones that you're willing to burn the midnight oil on and get lost. I can't believe I just spent seven hours on that because I'm so passionate on getting that done or it's actually very interesting to me. That's what I've seen happen is when these developers get looped in, it becomes very personal to them and that they're willing to spend the extra time doing it or they're willing to put in the extra hours to make sure it works really well, or have that continuing dialogue of, hey, I'm actually coding this. Now that I'm in here, I've actually been doing some research and here's a completely different way that we can go that might work even better. And so I don't really know how to articulate that well, but I've just seen that the level of passion that they put into the projects also rises. And so I, I wanted to recommend that for marketers be very careful siloing out development as this weird place that drinks 
Mountain Dew as we joke around a lot on this podcast and eats Doritos all day. And that you go to once you've already fully fleshed out your ideas. These are just the doers. You might be surprised at the ideas that they can generate for you, but also help save some headaches later down the road. Definitely wanted to recommend that. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you brought up siloing, I think that's the main thing in your first benefit that you listed, which was that oftentimes because marketers aren't aware of the effort and technical capabilities that go into some of the solutions they come up with, developers who are actively engaged in the process can stop those ideas up front and go, look, yeah, that, that would be great if we could do that. But that's going to take three weeks to develop. It's going to be pretty complex. And well, it's, we don't even have that at this point. Right. And it, and it may not actually work 100% of the time because mm-hmm. of all these edge cases. They can come up with a solution that's going to get, you know, like you said, it's going to get us mostly there and be pretty good. And I can do this in a day, right? Right. I mean, so getting them involved early on in those processes help with those situations. I think it points to just the larger issue of siloing with online and tech especially just doesn't work in the day and age that we're in. It's sort of the old world way that business was done. But I think smaller, more tactical teams are kind of the way it needs to go because things need to be done quickly. Teams need to be on the same page and working together with most projects so they know what's expected and how to work and and what features are possible to do and what's possible. Well, and we talked about that, I think, last episode too, not just from that aspect, but also efforts in different silos in the business can affect one another. Mm -hmm. So, you know, efforts in email or PPC or SEO can now all interchangeably affect one another. And you can't necessarily just operate in these vacuums because you can cause some real damage doing so to your comrades that are a cubicle or two over, or maybe, you know, across the ping pong table, if you have a cool office, we don't have the luxury now of being so siloed and not reaping some very harsh penalties potentially from that. The risk with that is, is pretty high now. All right, so let's move on. But just to recap, make sure you bring in your dev folk in at the design, kind of the blueprint, ground floor, foundational level. I think you might avoid some headaches, but I think also, as I mentioned, and some of you might not necessarily have this luxury, in some cases it takes hiring the right people. It's not just necessarily a policy you can institute. If you don't have the people to execute it, then it just becomes this policy that is uncomfortable for someone. So in some businesses, this might mean hiring a new person on the team or potentially exploring a different person. Uh, Some people might not be a good fit for this role or this system internally, and you might really have to make some tough decisions if that is the route you want to go for. Let's move on. Rob's going to tell us for Gobbler Day was Thanksgiving with its shoe fly pie, its turkey, its gravy, (laughs) its cranberry sauce. Was that a better shopping day for us e-commerce folk? This is a crazy one right here. Uh, I have a few anecdotes uh, because I was looking at some of our clients recent e-commerce sales information and trying to figure out what's going on because obviously this new Thanksgiving sale day is relatively new. I mean, I would say really this year is the first large year for it. I mean, it was there, it was here last year minimally and maybe the year before that. But so now we really do kind of have Thanksgiving, Black Friday and Cyber Monday as the three large sales days. So again, I was looking anecdotally through some of our sales information. I have some additional information I'll talk to afterwards about different categories of products and which sale days may work best for them that fit customers' expectations, what type of products may be best suited for a sale on Cyber Monday versus a Thanksgiving or Black Friday. But anyway, so back to the anecdotal evidence I've seen. It seems to me, based on some of the things I've seen, 
for this year that regardless of whether or not there's even a sale going on on Thanksgiving, people are blowing up Thanksgiving right now. People are buying on Thanksgiving, even for e-commerce websites that don't have active sales going on, even if they're actively promoting their Black Friday sales, people are still purchasing on Thanksgiving Day. So that was one thing I wanted to say. They're Cyber they're Monday. Drunk on that turkey. <laughs> Cyber Monday. If you're listening right now, you're listening on Cyber Monday. Hopefully, you got to get it as soon as this podcast comes out. Mm-hmm. So we don't have much information yet. Well, you're about, fighting the crowds online about listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As you're <laughs> trying to get through your sales on Amazon or whatever other website you're trying to get to load. So again, anecdotally, next week's podcast, we'll try to speak to what happened on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But I think comparatively, Thanksgiving and Black Friday are looking kind of similar Mm -hmm. uh, from what I've seen so far. So we'll have more data for next week. But I did want to talk about this planning in advance of I found this survey that is trying to compare people's expectations across different product categories of when would they expect and when will they go searching for deals in mm-hmm. these different product categories. Is it on Thanksgiving, Black Friday, or Cyber Monday? So I'm going to talk about some of these. So if you're in these categories, maybe it can help inform your marketing decisions. Uh, obviously, maybe it's too late at this point. <laughs> but maybe Good things it, to think about. Well, maybe it can help inform your analysis of what happened. Sure. Okay, so start with electronics first. I mean, that's the one that most people expect to get huge savings on. Things like cameras, headphones, iPhones, speakers, TVs is a huge one, right? When do people most expect to get great deals on TVs? Thanksgiving. That's the new one. That's the new hotness. It's not Black Friday. It's not Cyber Monday. It's Thanksgiving. Speakers, same thing. Thanksgiving, overwhelmingly. Cameras, Thanksgiving, but also Cyber Monday. That's the one where we're kind of like, we're kind of split on Thanksgiving versus Cyber Monday. Things like headphones and iPhones, though, overwhelmingly Black Friday, Kind of a weird breakdown, you know, when you think about it, but definitely different categories. People, again, TVs, that's one of those like classic sort of Black Friday, I think, type things. Yeah. Nope. People expect to get great deals on that on Thanksgiving. Let's look at some other things. Would not have expected that. No, I wouldn't have either. Entertainment, movies, music, books, Thanksgiving, toys, Cyber Monday, travel, Cyber Monday, video games, Thanksgiving. I mean, just in general, looking down this list, it's mostly Thanksgiving. <laughs> Black Friday, it seems like I want to be thankful for my deals to, to Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay, so let's look at a couple others. Appliances, Thanksgiving, garden items, kitchen items, Black Friday. That makes sense to me. Tools and hardware, Thanksgiving. Do you have, do you have any comments? You want to I was just going to say we were going, we're going to be tweeting out this link as well so you can check out these survey results for yourself as Yeah, well. absolutely. No, you have to be remembering and writing everything down <laughs> as I'm saying it live. Fast. The final category, clothing, shoes, beauty. That's all Cyber Monday. That one doesn't fit for me. But some interesting results nonetheless. Just keep in mind that there are expected differences depending Mm -hmm. on what you're selling. Especially if you thought your promotions didn't perform as they were expected to. Mm -hmm. Potentially, you're running them actually on the wrong day. So keep those things in mind. Very interesting stats. I feel like we've run into this complex situation now where there are three sales days virtually Mm -hmm. back to back. And how the hell do you run unique sales across them? Do you bother to? Depending on your category, which one do you choose to have your large sale on? It's become sort of a complex marketing problem for people. Yeah, and I think one of the the data points that might be interesting that we'll take maybe as a homework item for ourselves is looking at how often do people regularly check back? To your point, you talked about having unique sales. Well, maybe actually businesses don't. Maybe people, when they expect sales to be on Cyber Monday, could actually run the same deal on 
Black Friday and Cyber Monday, but the likelihood of people returning to see it twice and not being refreshed is actually quite low. So they don't necessarily need to juggle all these extra plans. They just need to know that you might need to dangle these out or run them for multiple days and just know that the likelihood of return visitors is actually quite low for the season. But people expect deals to be occurring either Black Friday or Cyber Monday. So you need to have your promotional mix in gear for those days. I'd love to read some research on how ubiquitous is the term Cyber Monday. I mean, mm-hmm. in your guesstimation. Okay. What percentage of your family and friends would you think are familiar with Cyber Monday and or wait until Cyber Monday to try to find deals on specific items? I would say none, but I don't have a very tech-savvy family. So the ones that do shop love the WWE event that we call Black Friday in real life. Mm-hmm. And they love, you know, rushing the gates and getting those door busters. Most of them don't actually conduct any online commerce. So I don't feel like I have a good frame of reference. At least in my office though, Black Friday and Cyber Monday are both pretty popular, at least from what I've heard from coworkers. But Cyber Monday is definitely held with more anticipation really? than Black Friday. Maybe because we work in retail, we don't get that Friday off. So Yeah, I've always felt that Cyber Monday didn't have much success. It's always that, okay, things popped off on Black Friday, and then Mm -hmm. they sort of held steadily straight through to December until it was too late to order things online. I mean, obviously, I'm talking about e-commerce specifically here. And I always felt that Cyber Monday never was really going to totally take off because... If I'm going to get a deal on Black Friday, I'm not going to wait until Cyber Monday to maybe Mm -hmm. see what's going to happen. I'm going to take advantage of what I get now. And I think that's why Thanksgiving is taking off so well, because it's getting an early jump on Black Friday. I can get awesome deals, but I'm also going to get awesome deals tomorrow, too. And I don't have to wait over this weird weekend where there aren't deals. This is a weird concept. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. I mean, maybe we'll continue next week when we have some more data because I have some more thoughts on that. So remind me on that. But... Gobbler Day is looking quite strong. So if you missed it this year, just make sure you have that in mind for next, that people are starting to look, you know, on that Thanksgiving day when you're enjoying that delicious dinner, people are expecting to be shopping on your website. So are you ready? You know, last two things that we'll cover and then we'll be out of here to resume our festivities. I wanted to talk a little bit about some tactics to include when you're copywriting on your site, particularly your ads, but I think there's some crossover into just how you present ideas to your customers. And this is an article in Search Engine Land. Again, we'll tweet out the link. But anyways, I wanted to go over three quick tactics that they talk about. This is an article written by David Greenbaum of Boost Media. It's a large agency out there. They have quite a few clients, so they've seen a lot come in the doors. They have a large portfolio to sort of pull from and understand what's working well. But the first thing you want to consider is, and this is so important, people lose this so often, maintaining a customer focus. What do I mean by that? You know, when you're writing your ads, are you using things like speaking directly to people? I'll actually read just a direct example from the site. Ad for a laundry company. One of the ads says moisture wicking fabrics made laundry day that much easier versus moisture wicking fabrics just made your laundry day much easier. It's just that small change of adding your in there just makes it much more relatable to people and understand that it's tackling your problems. Another interesting tweak that they added into the ad as well, and I think that a lot of companies don't necessarily think about this and could be relevant in many different verticals, is in their example, they added official site actually into their ad to make it also personalized and speaking to the customer. This is the official site for the product. And even if you don't have a lot of competitors, that can really stick out in your ad 
placements as the official site and reading more about the product. Well, it adds uh, a weird like air of credibility, even right. if you aren't important, just saying, oh, the well, official we're the official site. site. Like yeah. everyone is looking for us. We're right. the official <laughs> site. That's weird. The second thing we're going to cover is lead with customer benefits, not product features. So the examples are, let's say one says baby diapers, free trial, natural, effective, chemical free versus baby diapers, free trial, keep your baby healthy and clean. You know, trying to answer some of those consumer benefits. Yes, natural, effective, chemical free. Those can be very good for particular demographics, you know, ones that are eco-conscious, things like that. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to keep myself and my baby clean and healthy. And so writing your copy to sort of answer what is going to be the benefit to the end customer. And and instead of them having to sort of work backwards and decode that information, this eco-consciousness or this natural or effective, speaking in more plain terms sometimes can really work to your benefits. And instead of relying on customers to assume those types of things. The last tactic that we'll talk about is fulfilling customer needs, not just once. Example, digital camera space. Get the digital camera you want, free shipping from brand name you know, we'll just insert the name there or get the digital camera you need free shipping from the brand name, you know, and sort of instilling this, why you need this product yeah. and why you might be even missing out on not having it. This really plays into the psychology of marketing that I know that you've talked about extensively uh, on the podcast. So, you know, think about these type of tactics. How can you rewrite some of your ads or test them, which we're always a fan of, or how do you need to maybe write some of the headlines on your site or recraft some of the sales copy throughout your site to sort of get at these different tactics that you can take at the end of the day to better articulate why you're a best fit for someone along with your value prop. Now, I'm a fan of that whole personalized approach to copy in general. I like speaking more directly to people in simpler, plainer language as opposed to the very stilted sort of terminology that most people use in ads and Mm -hmm. copy, especially corporate type sites. Absolutely. Um, So I could see that stuff working a lot better, especially in a sea of ads where no one else is really doing that, Mm -hmm. right? All right, so let's wrap this up. Google Corner, what do we need to be paying attention to from our favorite search engine? Really quickly, the EU, they done done it again. (laughs) They had a court case this week where this is not binding at all, but some of the court systems ruled that Google should break up the company and (laughs) I almost did a drum roll (laughs) because I know you would laugh, but essentially they felt that the search portion of the company should be divorced from everything else. Hilarious, but you know, we'll keep an eye on that again, non-biting. They can't do anything, but it's just kind of interesting. The turmoil (laughs) that Google is having to deal with in Europe and how that might affect penetration there. Or if you're an international company, different traffic mixes that might work differently there, depending on what government start, might start enforcing things like that. I feel that. like if that if they keep doing this type of stuff, Google's just going to pull the plug on Europe. Guess what? You're not going to get Google. <laughs> Google no more. Yeah. Well, you're going to come back to... Like that uh, example you read last week where I think one company moved their site to Dole Index mm-hmm. and then their traffic dropped what was like yeah. 70, 80%. Exactly. They went, I'm sorry. Keep playing this game. You won't get Google anymore. <laughs> They'll take their ball and go home. And then the last thing I wanted to cover, 
Keep an eye out on the Apple relationship with Google. So this year, so Apple has contractual agreements with the search provider for their entire ecosystem. And in particular, their mobile is quite a big portion of this. And right now, Apple and Google have a relationship for Google to be the search provider. That expires in 2015. So there is some rumblings that Bing and Yahoo separately, which is interesting, and maybe we'll get into that in the next episode, are vying very heavily to be the search provider for Apple. Apple now has a large market share. Safari actually outpaces Internet Explorer, I think globally on Stat Counter now. So it is a very large swath of users. And with the struggles that Bing and Yahoo both have had as search engines would be a nice pickup, but it's something to pay attention to. And there's some interesting interplays between both companies. And Apple, you know, and Google have sort of competing objectives, especially in the mobile space with operating systems. So we're interested to see how all that plays out. I mean, from Apple's standpoint, though, as much as it would be nice for people to pay more to be their provider, Apple is rich. They're in it for the shareholders, so they want to be profitable. But at the same time, they have to do this balancing act of, I don't want to get the reputation of when people search in my operating system that the results are garbage. And so even though Yahoo might outpay Google, if that's going to mean a negative user experience, which then means a negative reputation on us as a company... You know, there's some merit to that. So just an interesting shakeup or some rumblings that are happening in the search world to pay attention to. Anyways, that's going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you so much for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, which hopefully you did, leave us a review on whatever channel you found us on Stitcher, iTunes. It's greatly appreciated. It helps us grow the show but know what we might need to change and where we stand. If you have an idea for the show, maybe you sit there and listen every week and go, hmm, those beer guys are pretty smart, but they didn't think about this. Let us know. Or maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe the boss is yelling at you or you don't know where to turn. We have a lot of experience in the industry, and if we can't help you, we can put you in contact with someone that can ways to reach us beardmarketers.com slash contact great form on there you can call us we have a crisis hotline 904-270-9603 rob waits by the phone day and night waiting for your calls or texts and you can reach us on twitter as well we're quite active there which we'll tweet out all the links to the show we love hearing with people and usually those suggestions or comments make it on the next show but that's again going to do it for us thank you again so much and we'll see you next week Gio. Gio.